to Happily Ever After is Real, interviews and conversations created to share wisdom, strength, joy, and inspiration for finding true love in a busy and constantly changing world. Happily Ever After is Real is a Be More You production. You can follow us on Facebook or visit us online at bemoreyou.co. I'm Tricia Bennett. On behalf of myself and all of our guests, welcome and enjoy. I'd like to begin by welcoming my guest host, Nancy Hunt. Thanks for being with us today, Nancy. And today we have a special treat. We have a man who is happily successfully married, who has agreed to share his love story, his wisdom, strength, and hope for those that are still looking and to give women a perspective of what it looks like when a man is willing to risk it all for love. Welcome, Sterling, to the program. We work together in a community service capacity, and we realized that we had something in common more than our desire to make a difference in the community, which is that we are both happily successfully married to people that we truly adore and are grateful for each day and i asked sterling if he would be interested in sharing his love story and he said that he would love to share it and i'm wondering if you actually told your wife you were doing this or if you're going to surprise her i did not tell her i'm actually going to surprise her (laughs) so i'd like to say this india rose i love you very much I thank you for taking a chance on me. I took a huge chance on you. And I appreciate the fact that you're a part of my life, and I can't wait to see what the next 10, 20, or 30 years brings to our relationship. I've never been happier, and I hope you feel the same way. Please enjoy this podcast. So a little bit about me. I am from Boston. Uh, Love working in a community, love working with kids. That's my passion. And I uh, love my family. I'm a, f- a big family guy. been married for almost 10 years now, uh, three kids in our family. I'm just a regular down-to-earth guy who just likes to be part of that helping community and supporting mm-hmm. whatever community I'm part of. So I kind of grew up without any male role model. My parents were divorced when I was really young. My mom raised my brother and myself. I have one younger brother who was three years younger. We all struggled. I mean, you know, mom had to work a couple of different jobs. We didn't really have any positive influence around us, and we struggled in and out. We moved around from home to home, so there was a lack of stability at home. One of the things that actually worked out for us is that my mom remarried when I was a teenager. I was already in high school. And there was a little bit of stability. We actually found our first home. We were able to actually start a family dynamic, which was very good for everyone included. After that, I'd say I got to college. I I got my experience, earned my degree, got my education, and decided to move on and go into adulthood. So I met my wife, (laughs) and we actually met online, which is a very interesting story. We want to hear the whole story. You want to hear the whole story. Um, so we've been married for nine years, and next year, our 10th year, we did talk about and plan on renewing our vows, um, just getting back and kind of hitting the reset button and getting a fresh start and 
you know, kind of rejuvenating that marriage and that love. So the way that we met, I was in a relationship with someone else, and it didn't work out, and I was heartbroken. You invest in someone hoping that they invest in you, and I, I basically sacrificed everything I had. We lived together. We intended on starting a family together, and I thought that we were happy, and it just didn't work out. So there were some hurt feelings on both ends of that. And I kind of went into, I wouldn't say a depression, but I kind of gave up on relationships for a while, and I just said to myself that I was going to stay single for as long as it takes for me to feel comfortable. And a very close friend of mine came to me about three months into that feeling of staying single and said, hey, you know, it, you don't appear to be happy. Why don't we try something different? You know, he was married and he had his family and he felt that we were both at the same point and I should be happy as well. So he decided that online dating was going to be an option at that point. And I was very, very resistant to it. And I'm like, this doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. It'll never work out. I don't want to do it. But I gave in eventually after several weeks of harassing and he created this online profile. The first website in the city, and it was kind of the the takeoff of online dating back in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And I went on, I'd say, two dates, and they were both very, very bad. And it was one of those stories where people use different profile pictures, and <laughs> they meet in person, and they're totally different than who they really are. <laughs> So that trust with the whole online personality was violated, and it just added to my resistance of actually continuing the online concept of meeting people and and trying to find that one. Um, So it didn't work out, but I didn't give up. I decided to investigate and and look into a different online dating site because I figured, why not? What's it going to hurt? There's not much of an investment up front. You don't have to get dressed and go out and meet someone and go to a bar or an uncomfortable setting and buy someone dinner and buy them drinks and just to find out that they're not the one. You get an inside view of who they are based on their representation of themselves online. So I joined a different dating website called Black People Meet, and it was someone told me, hey, this is the one. This is the new thing. So I intended to look into that and I did and I found my wife and I reached out to her and we had what I would say was an old school conversation we were both interested in each other we had both bookmarked or saved each other's profiles and she shared that with me and we were like I don't even know how to describe it we exchanged phone numbers and one evening we spent about four and a half hours on the phone and it's something at that point was very unique because people weren't doing that. People weren't having conversations. They weren't talking. Mm. But we spent X amount of hours on the phone just getting to know each other. And the scariest part for me through that process is, is it going to be true? Is the pictures online going to be a true representation of who she was? Is this another experience where it's going to turn out where it's not her or it's somebody else? But it would be unfortunate because based on our conversation, I became interested. Her personality was attractive. It kind of vibed. It meshed with what I wanted in in someone. So I decided to take a chance. And this is where the story takes an interesting turn because 
I found out that she lived on Martha's Vineyard. I lived in Boston. Mm. Now, throughout college and high school and through those years, I've always had friends that have been to the Vineyard, Fourth of July weekend, let's go take a trip. And I had never been here. I had never been to the Vineyard. I had never had any interest in coming out to the Vineyard. I've probably only been to the Cape once. I've always stayed in the city because I thought that there was nothing on the Cape for me and it was going to be boring and I just have no interest. So one night, on a Saturday night, I decided to surprise her. So we've been having this conversation. I'm going to surprise her and I'm going to take a trip to the Vineyard and just show up on her doorstep. (laughs) And like I said, I've never been to the Vineyard, so I decided to take that ride, and I came out here. Didn't know where I was going, didn't know what I was doing, didn't know anything about it. Did you bring your car over? No, I took the drive. I didn't know, I didn't even know you can bring your car over. Right. I, I didn't even, I honestly, it was on a whim. I didn't even investigate how to do it or how to get here or anything like that. Yeah. I drove all the way down from Boston to Woods Hole, and I got to Woods Hole with about five minutes to spare for the last ferry coming over. I stopped over at the little shack, the little hut up front with the ticket booth, and I told the guy, I said, listen, I'm trying to surprise this girl. I had never been to the vineyard. I don't even know what to do. Where should I park? So he's like, oh, man, really? Honestly? Like you're a little late. (laughs) He goes, "Let's, let's, how about this? How about I'll call the shuttle, I'll send a shuttle down, you just take the shop right, go find a place to park, and I'll hold a boat for you. And I'm like, wow, this is cool. So the guy does what he needs to do, stops the shuttle. I get on a boat, get a ticket, get a walk on. And I'm like, okay, so this is the last boat to the island. If this doesn't work out, what am I going to do? I'm going to be stuck on Martha's Vineyard, never been there before, don't know anyone out there except for this girl that I've been talking to. And it's 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. I walk off the boat, and I call her. Thank God she answered. (laughs) Um, So I called, and I said, listen, hey, I'm on Martha's Vineyard, and I want to meet you right now. And she didn't believe me at first. It was like, no way, you're not here. Come on, stop fooling around. And I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely here. I am here. So she goes, well, if you're really here and you're really being honest, describe, look around and describe where you're standing. So I am in Vineyard Haven at the terminal, and I said, listen, I'm going to walk out to the street. Um, I see a stopping shop across the street. I see a, a T-shirt shop right there on the corner. There's a car rental place. I don't know what else you want to describe. So I started walking down the street. I said, there's a black dog on the corner. Like, it looks like a restaurant or something. And she says, oh, my God, you're really here. Oh, my God, said, God, you're really I'm not going to lie to you. And she's like, well, okay, well, I'm I'm on my way to come pick you up. I'm like, all right, well, I'll just sit outside on the curb. So I'm sitting there on a curb in the middle of the night praying and hoping that this girl actually shows up to pick me up and also praying and hoping that she is true to who she says she is because this is a huge chance for me. This is a huge risk. This is something that was completely out of the ordinary for me because I've always – kind of been in control of my actions and very comfortable with where I am and things like that. So this was a new experience. So she came to I, got out her vehicle, and it was kind of like a weight was lifted. It was a sense of relief because she was beautiful. And, like, she looks exactly like her picture. As a matter of fact, she looks better than she does in her picture. And then at that point, 
I'm hoping that she's thinking the same thing and she's feeling the same way. Like, hey, this guy's handsome. He looks exactly like he does in a picture. So she took me back to her place, and we basically stayed up all night just talking. We stayed up until, I don't know, 3 o'clock in the morning or something like that, just having a conversation, talking, getting to know each other. And at that same time, her son was asleep. So she has she has a child from a previous relationship, and so so do I. I have a child from a previous relationship, which adds another level of complication to the mix. So she picks me up, and she brings this guy that she just met online home with her child. And for me, that is a huge amount of trust because when you have a relationship and you bring that relationship into your home with your children, that says a lot. That's because children are so vulnerable and you don't, you don't want to send the wrong message. So for me, I took that as a sign of a huge trust and respect, and I, tra- I treated it that way. So I show up, we have that conversation, I spend the night, and the following morning, her son wakes up and she introduces me to her son. And I thought it was going to be a very weird kind of feeling. He was just a child, by the way. He was only about uh, four years old. So for him, it was just like, hey, like someone to play with. A guy, a guy to play with and have some fun with, and which was cool. We had a we had a good time, but I had to leave, and I had to get back get back home. The story then takes another turn because this point in time that I'm discussing is right before New Year's. That's so you came down here in the cold. I came down here in the cold <laughs> on your own without on my own. Wow. With with no reservation, no nothing. And I show up, and and she took a chance on me, and I took a huge chance on her. Yeah. And then the following morning, I woke up, and we kind of talked about what's the next step? How are we going to follow up on this? Because there's some really positive energy here. We're both really feeling good about where this relationship could potentially go. So what's the next step? And we try to talk about that. I take off and I said, okay, fine, I'll call you later and let's talk about what we're going to do and how we maybe see each other again because I really enjoyed spending time and she felt the same way. Unfortunately for me, I left my cell phone at her house. I forgot my phone at her house. So she's calling me and a phone is ringing at her house. So I get on the other side, we're in Woods Hole, and I'm like, oh, my God. I forgot my phone. I don't know what happened. Turns out it's definitely over there. Uh, and she decides, well, what are we going to do? How am I going to contact you? I'm going to have to go back home, get on my computer, and maybe talk online. Or And I ask her, what are you doing for New Year's? Because that would be a good time to spend some time together. Maybe we can go out. Um, she had a date for New Year's. Prior to meeting me, she already had this all set up. She had a date for New Year's Eve. I had a date for New Year's Eve and because this was so out of left field. And we both decided at that point, like, we're going to cancel our dates. And whatever happens, happens. Sorry to the other person, but this was kind of something that we both felt was meant to be. So we both canceled our dates. And I told her, I said, listen, I don't know what we're going to do next. Where did you plan on going? So she said, well, I was going to go out on a double date with my friend to this club in Providence. And I said, well... I was going to go on a date with my friends to a house party. So I ended up telling my friends, like, listen, sorry, guys. I've got different plans. I'm not going to be there. 
And they, my friends were like, sure, follow your heart, follow your dreams, do what you got to do as long as you're happy. And I was excited about that. So I had to find my way to Providence for New Year's Eve for this girl. Now I get to the, I, I'm on my way to Providence, and she's not even sure if I'm on my way. She's not sure, and because she she just met this guy, who says that he's going to be her date. She canceled her date, so she took a chance, and she's in this hotel with her friends, just kind of waiting. Like, oh, is he going to show up? I don't know, because he doesn't have his phone. I have his phone. Is he going to call me? Is he going to find a place? So I finally find a place, and I get there, and she was relieved. And a couple of the other guys that were there were like, man, she was pacing back and forth. She didn't think you were going to come. And I'm like, well, I'm a pretty honest, straightforward kind of guy. If I say I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there. So I show up, and we had a great time. It was officially our first date, our first time out. We still sometimes sit and reminisce, and we look at some of the pictures from that night, and we we laugh about it and just say how crazy it was, how like n- how nuts it was that we even took a chance like this because neither one of us we were both out of our comfort zone. We were definitely out of our comfort zone, and we just took a chance on each other, and it worked out. Yeah, definitely worked out. I love that story. Mm-hmm. That you both followed your heart. You followed some something you just told you, go to the vineyard, and then you both canceled your dates that were literally yeah. a couple days later. Yeah. And again, out of your comfort zone. You went Absolutely. off to Providence. <laughs> yes. That's amazing. Now, when you said you went online and there were three women that you were interested in, and you, was it your first experience on that site? It was my first experience. I had just joined a site, and it was my first experience on it. I joined it, and I did a search, and and there were three different women that kind of, you know, they match you up and kind of fit what I was looking for. And I looked at all three, and I said, well, she's the most beautiful one. So, (laughs) And some of the things that she wrote about, some of her interests, some of her hobbies, some of her goals was right in line with what I was looking for. Mm. You know, she liked the same music or she loved sports. I played basketball and football. She played basketball. Her son loves football. Like she she was very much into athletics and into music and into everything that I was interested in, and I felt that it was going to work out. Now, did and you, in your profile, did you say that you had a child? I did, and she did as well. Yeah. And so when I saw that, I said, you know what? she would understand what I would I would have to go through. Mm. Because when you're dealing with another parent, then you know that some of the, the complications of that is that they feel as though that the child should be the priority and you should mm-hmm. just do whatever it takes for that child. And for me that was it was a huge step for me because my my child, my daughter, who's now sixteen years old, she lives with her mother, which uh-huh. is an, another level of complication because now I live on an island and to actually see her and to to spend time with her, it's an extra step. It's making a reservation. It's planning. It's travel. It's communication. Things yep. like that. Yep. So that added, you know, and yeah. I had to be honest and upfront with that. And my wife had to do the same thing. So she understood. We had a very clear understanding of what, that relationship was going to look like and how we were both going to handle it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The next question is, what did you have to know and trust about yourself before you could choose your wife and commit to her? 
And you were not only committing to her, you were committing to living on an island. Yeah. So what did you have to know and trust about yourself to choose those things? Well, for me personally, I had to be completely comfortable with where my life was headed. I knew that I was at a stage in my life where I wanted to settle down, where I wanted to start a family, I wanted to be happy, and I wanted to have something that I'd never have before, and which was that complete family, that dynamic, that raising a kid and being happy with both parents in the picture. So I learned from an early age what I did not want. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew as a child what I did not want. I knew what I went through as a child that what it wasn't healthy. I mean, it was okay. We were still safe, but it, we weren't happy. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want. I didn't want to struggle. So I knew that at that point I was ready to give to myself and to someone else that ultimate feeling of being supported, being a family, having shared interests and shared goals and shared vision and creating a life for someone else, for myself, and in this case for a child that was better than the life that I had growing up. Hmm. So at that point, I felt like I was ready to commit. And not only that, but I was also ready to let go. So it was twofold. It was being able to let go of the past and take those experiences and learn from it and look towards my future and build on the positive stuff and build on those experiences and just make it stronger. So I had no remorse from what had happened to me before, if I'd been hurt before, if I'd struggled before. I was at a point where I felt like everything I've experienced was the foundation for me to build on something and make it a better build. And I was ready. I was ready to to proceed and and move with that. Hmm. So my wife's family, she had a very intact family. Mm. Her her mom and dad are still together, and they've been together for, I believe, over 30 years. Mm. So then they're they're relatively young. Like Her dad just turned 60 this year, and they've been together for over 30 years, married for over 30 years and together for probably like 40. So her mom was a teenager when she met her dad, and they've been together ever since, which is one of those stories that I dream about of longevity, of going through everything and growing together and knowing together and and struggling together and succeeding together. That's the dream that I have for myself and whoever I, I chose to be with, which is fortunately for me, my wife. Mm. And it hasn't been perfect. I'm not going to say that we have a perfect relationship because there's no such thing, but every experience we go through, we learn from and we just become stronger and closer. Right. You both were coming into your relationship with the same vision. Right. Mm-hmm. She had an intact family and parents who had been together forever, and you wanted that. And I wanted that. Yeah. So she had that knowledge of what I wanted. She experienced what I wanted. But on the same note, I experienced what she wanted because she was at a point in her life where she felt like she was trapped. Mm. You know, she felt like she was stuck. So she had gone to college and came back, and she was still living on the island. And and living on this island, there's a sense of feeling of being claustrophobic, like you don't really have too many options. Mm -hmm. And for me, I lived in a city. I've traveled. I've, you know, 
my my commute to work was 45 minutes, so I saw a lot of things, and I, I had the experiences, and I had the options and the flexibility, and you know, if I wanted to go out to dinner at 11 o'clock at night, I can do that. You can't do yeah. that here on the island. So for for me, it was, you know, having her, she was kind of experiencing what I was experiencing, and we were both able to share our knowledge and share how we felt, and and kind of create this this goal, this per, this perfect. I don't know how to describe it, but it, it worked well together. Mm-hmm. We had this balance. Mm-hmm. I'd like to ask you if you had men in your life before you got married. Said a little bit about that, that you had friends that urged you to go ahead and go to Providence and follow your heart. But did you have other men to be instrumental in this process with you? So for me, my answer is going to be unique because I had men in my life, and the men that I had in my life, I had two completely different experiences. So I was able to experience that full spectrum of positive and negative. And I'm okay Mm. with sharing it because the reason my parents were divorced at a very young age is because my biological father was an abusive alcoholic. Mm. And at a young age, I had to experience that trauma and I had to see it and I had to see my mom being abused or see my mom crying you know, and having a, a father that came home drunk and would cause a scene and wake the neighbors and wake the family and, you know, pass out on the front porch, you mm-hmm. know, and wake up the next morning. It's, so at a young age, I I was unfortunately exposed to that. And, and that's one of the reasons that I've never had a sip of alcohol. Mm. That I, and I made that vow as a child to my mom because I saw what she experienced. And in a tearful kind of way, I informed her that I'm sorry for what she had to go through and I will never be like that. Mm-hmm. So I knew from five, six years old what I did not want to be like when yeah. I got older. Yeah. Um, so that was that traumatic piece for me. But as I got older, I didn't have positive role models for the first few adolescent years. So like I said earlier, my mom remarried when I was about 16. But by the time a young man is 16, he's pretty much set in his ways on what he Mm -hmm. plans to be like. And he has some idea. He's not perfect, but he has some idea of who he is. And I I did. I had some idea of who I was. But during those years where there was no male role model and my mom continued to struggle, my family continued to struggle, I made a vow to myself that I was going to be as positive as possible. As odd as it sounds, I learned a lot from watching TV and watching movies, uh, mm. you know, so I, that's how I gauged on what a positive role model was. That's such a great point. I don't think anybody has ever said that in one of our interviews. You had an alcoholic dad who was self-destructive and making life difficult for other people, and so you right. knew who you didn't want to be. Yes. And then by watching TV, and there was so much family television on, Especially in the 80s and early 90s. Yeah. Yep. I watched a really lot positive of TV. role models for families on TV. And so that's how I decided what a man would be like and mm. what a man should be like. Yeah. I grew up watching like the Cosby Show or right. any other family oriented television programming. And I decided that these guys can do it, then I can do it. And this is what it should be like because they mm-hmm. struggled, they had their issues, but at the end of each episode, 
they were able to work it out and people were happy. And I said, yeah. that's what my life is going to be like. We're going to, I'm probably going to struggle, but this is how you fix it. And this is how right. you let go and this is how you move forward. So I kind of modeled my life based on what I saw on TV and what I learned. So at that, yeah. at, an, at an early age, as a teenager, I was, I don't know, maybe a little bit more advanced than right. the other kids my age because they were still, I mean, my friends were still fooling around. They were drinking. They were partying. I lost friends to drugs, to crime, to jail, to, you know, some of them died at an early age. So, and I, I saw that. I experienced all of that. Mm-hmm. But for me, I said, I'm not going to. I'm not going to give in to that. I'm not going to follow that. And I want to be happy. And I want to. And most importantly, I wanted to make my mom proud, and not mm. have any other added stress in her life. Yeah. Because she had to focus on keeping us healthy and safe, and I didn't want to take away from that. It's so interesting about the question: How were or are other men instrumental to your success? And a lot of what was instrumental to your success is seeing how you didn't want things to be. Your dad and then your friends who were drinking and using drugs. And you just kept going back to that as an example of what you didn't want to be. Their discomfort or the things that you witnessed were instrumental to your choices to not do that. I hadn't figured out where I wanted to be, yeah. but I definitely had it all figured out where I did not want to be, mm-hmm. and that's the way I look at that. I, I knew what to stay away from, and I knew where to go, Yeah. so I didn't really put myself in a position to be caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. I followed my instincts most of the time and said, hey, this doesn't feel safe. This doesn't look smart. I don't want any part of it, so I'm just going to go ahead and take off. Yeah. I'm not even going to go there in the first place. Yeah. The other thing, you, you're talking about the influence men have had in your life. For me, when I was asked that question, I you know, go to the women that support me. And I'm thinking back on how you mentioned your friend when you were going to not do the dating stuff and he got you to start the online stuff. Yeah. Like he, he was instrumental too in knowing who you were and what you wanted and that you weren't happy and he wanted to help you, guide you to do something different. Is he still in your life? Like are there men that you turn to when you need help with stuff? Like are there men actively in your life or <clears throat> do you pretty much, you know, obviously you're very successful in the choices you're making and the happiness you've found, but do you also have men that support you? to achieve what you want. So I I actually do have um, friends. I still maintain friendships with everyone going back to high school and college and things like that. Uh, Distance definitely changes that dynamic a little bit. If I need help, I can always reach out to those guys, and they would, without a doubt, drop whatever they're doing to come and assist me. Mm. But as far as immediate help, in the present day and time, the most consistent person in my life right now is my father-in-law. My father-in-law, he just retired from the office where I currently work, so there was some sort of support there, and he understood if there was difficulty at home or if there's difficulty in a marriage, because of our very close family dynamic, I can discuss that with him. I can talk to him about that, and most of the times he already knew because you know he's also a <laughs> sounding board for my wife anyway. 
we're able to we work together we were able to kind of communicate and share some of the knowledge and oftentimes I would ask him questions hey like hey what do you think about this or what do you think about that or if I, if I have an idea where I, I want to do something simple and surprise my wife or take her out to dinner they're the grandparents and they need to babysit I have to run things by them first anyway so I usually talk to him and say hey what are you doing what do you think about this I want to do this I want to take it here or if I what do you think about this idea you think that she would like it because of what I learned on television and what I thought a man should be like, before I proposed to my wife, I took the ring over to her parents and I looked to her dad and I asked for his permission. And I don't know if that still happens, but I know it happens on TV, so I just followed that. That is <laughs> so it, awesome. <laughs> it, felt, it felt a little awkward and it felt a little odd, but I got the family blessing before I proposed yeah. to my wife. You know, so they it's saw It's not the odd, it's old fashioned. And it, maybe I'm I'm an old soul or maybe I'm old fashioned, but mm-hmm. it's something that I believe in, you know, from from what I learned growing up and I carry that message on and I share that message with the kids that I work with or with my own kids. And this mm-hmm. is what it should be like. Having that old fashioned mentality. Yeah, it's so genuine and true. One of the things that I have to say about the idea of watching TV and movies is that TV and movies wakes something up inside of us that feels like truth. You know, it's like, gee, my family was like this, but, boy, that feels so much better. What I'm looking at on that TV show warms my heart or it makes me feel happy wake something up inside of us that it's like, I want that. I don't want that other thing over there. I want that because that feels so much better. Absolutely. I want it to be like the Brady Bunch or the Cosby family or the Partridge family. I don't know. I want (laughs) it to be one of those families that (laughs) just was always happy. Yeah. I've I've got a plethora of useless TV trivia from the 80s and 90s. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah. I learned a lot, and I value that. Yeah. You know how they have those books, I learned everything I needed to know about life from Star <laughs> Trek? It would be really cute to write a book. I needed. I learned everything I needed to know about marriage from 80s sitcoms. From 80s sitcoms, absolutely. <laughs> really cute. So on that note, what are the gifts of your marriage? And what do you want single men and women to have that they don't have now? So the gifts of my marriage, I would say, is love, honesty, and support. Those are the three things that I value the most in my marriage, in my relationship. And I think that I didn't have – I had those in different stages or different different levels, but I've never had them all together. And this is why I chose to marry the woman that I chose to marry, because I felt that she was able and willing to give me all three of those at the same time. Mm. I have the love, I have my best friend, and I have honesty. Um, I have something, if if I'm doing something wrong or if I'm making her unhappy with my actions, she's comfortable enough to tell me. And I can address that behavior rather than have it, just kind of pent up inside and turn into frustration and resentment. 
So we have open communication. We're honest with each other, and it's a healthy honesty. It's not yelling. It's not being disrespectful. And the supportive piece is whatever I choose to do, there is a conversation and saying, you know what, I want to do this. This is going to make me happy. And I feel like it's going to benefit both of us and the entire family. How do you feel? And more often than not, it's, hey, that's a good idea. I support that. Or if it's something simple that I'm doing, if I'm coaching, I coach sports at the local high school. If I'm, mm. if I'm coaching a game, she's there to just mm. to watch me coach. She mm. coaches at the middle school as well. So I go to her games. And we support each other you know, in whatever we do. Whatever mm. we choose to do in a the community, there's a lot of support. She has, if she's doing an event or if she's attending something and she needs physical help, I'll go pick up tables and chairs and help set up. I'm there to clean up. I'm part of her crew. Mm. So I'm, I'm always the hugest supporter on her team, and she's always the hugest supporter on my team. Mm. So love, honesty, and support are the gifts in my relationship. And I don't say that I'm not going to tell anyone that that's the formula, but if you have that and if you can find that, I would cherish that and, and build on that. That should be the foundation. Mm. As far as single individuals and what they don't have and what they should look for, one of the things that actually helped me in my relationship, I'd say helped us, there's a book by Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages. And mm. I don't know how it came into our lives, but my wife introduced me to this book last year, and we both sat down and we both read it. And we figured out, out of those five love languages, which two or which ones resonate with us individually the most. And it was so eye-opening that we were both completely different in what we value and mm. what we want. I'm, I mean, if you haven't read the book, one of the, the five love languages is affirmation. Now, for me, affirmation is a priority. I feed off of that. I kind of embrace that, and that's what I want. If I'm doing something good or even if I change my appearance, I want to know that, hey, good job, or you look great. Yeah. I want that. I want that verbal support. Well done. Can, nice haircut. Exactly. Right. I want to hear those. I want to, right. I want to feel and hear those from my partner. Yeah. The other thing for me is physical touch. My mom was very affectionate. That's the way she showed her love mm. to, my, to me and my brother. It was, it was a hug every day. It was having a conversation. You just hold someone's hand. And that, for me, is a way to relate to that person that you care, that you're listening, that you're there, you're supportive, and you love them. So those things for me is physical touch and words of affirmation. The, the other three love languages are acts of service, quality time, and receiving gifts. Hmm. After we read the book, it was so funny both my wife and I said receiving gifts is not important to us. Mm. We're not superficial. We don't need someone to buy us something to prove that they love and care about us. Yeah. But for her, it's acts of service and quality time. Those mm. were the first two that resonated for her, mm. which I was like, I don't get that. I don't understand <laughs> that. Acts of service and quality time, I that doesn't make any sense to me. Why would you not want me to tell you you look beautiful every day and give you a hug? Yeah. But for her, it's like, 
I know how you feel. I know you already love me. I don't need you to tell me I'm beautiful. I know that you already feel that way. Yeah. For her, it was like, that's great, but I just want to sit and spend time with you. We just want to have quality time. Let's go out to dinner. Let's sit and watch a movie. Let's go for a walk, things yeah. like that. Or yeah. she says, acts of service. If, if you see that I'm having a stressful day, come home. Maybe you maybe you prepare dinner and clean up the kitchen or straighten up the living room or, or do things, do little things like that to make my day more comfortable or de-stress. Mm. So and I did I never understood that until last year. So reading this book and understanding these languages of love put a whole new spin on our relationship mm. because the way I viewed it, the way you show, you show your love to someone with the affirmation and the physical touch, I'm kind of like, why aren't you doing that to me? Yeah. When I do that to you, how come that's not good enough? How come that doesn't make you happy? You know, so there was it's a different understanding on a different level with your, the person you're with in a relationship, and I think that if you're going to get into a relationship, even if you're already in one, you should read this book and figure That's out great. what's important to you and what may be important to someone else. Because if you don't know what you want or what you value, you may go into a relationship blindly and have to overly compromise your own personal values, which will then grow into resentment. So it's very important for someone, if you're single, to figure out who you are and what you want. And moving forward, then you can understand what a relationship or a healthy relationship should look like. And also that people experience love differently. Yeah. And they feel loved in different ways. So you think you're doing something right that should make someone feel loved, but they're not feeling loved. And so then you try harder to do it your way. (laughs) But it still doesn't feel like love to them. Exactly. It's such a great point. Not only do you get frustrated, but you waste a lot of energy. Yes, you do. Well, you must like quality time, though, because I'm just sitting there like, that's her thing, and you didn't get it. But the first time you talked to her, you talked for five hours. And you showed up at her home, and you talked all night. So it's like, hmm, I think you might like that as well. <laughs> right. But the thing about that is that even though we spent all that time together, that's not, not something that I viewed as what she valued the most. Yeah. Because not a day goes by where I don't tell my wife that I love her or maybe she looks beautiful or just simple things that she's walking by and I just touch her hand, you know, or brush her shoulder or something like that. For me, that is very important. That's how I show that love. But yeah. I didn't I didn't prioritize and say, well, she likes quality time or an acts of service, I mean, do something for her to make her feel good. I, for me, I just kind of went along with, hey, I love you. You look beautiful today. Yeah. And at at some point she's listening like, yeah, you said that yesterday. I get it. <laughs> yeah. like, I know. And how about <laughs> those groceries that are still in the car? <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Hey, the, that, the sink is full of dishes. I'm beautiful, but the dishes aren't going to clean themselves. Right. <laughs> yeah. And unless you understand that, then you're right. Resentment builds up. Right. And yeah, it's so great. Yeah. 
So is there anything else that you want to offer as advice for keeping people's dreams alive about finding love? Right. Just being able to let go of the past. And it's very, very difficult because once your trust is violated or you're hurt, it's difficult to move past that because there's that emotional barrier that people put up and say, well, I've been hurt before, so how how do I know, how do I trust that I'm not going to get hurt again? Mm. And for me personally, it was just kind of taking a blind leap of faith and saying, you know what, everyone's different. And it's not fair to judge the next person based on the last person. Mm. And mentally, mm. physically, emotionally, on every level, you have to be able to go into it and look forward with a clean slate. Personally, that works for me. I just go with blind trust and I say, you know what, I'm going to trust that person 100% until they prove me wrong, mm. if they prove mm-hmm. me wrong. Yeah. And that's that's what worked for me. I had a very very hurtful, just tumultuous relationship in the past that I was getting out out of. And then I had to reinvent myself and just say, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot and I'm going to take a chance. And it was the biggest moment in my life, the biggest chance with the highest level of risk that I've ever taken on an emotional level to go somewhere where I had zero control. I had never been before, didn't know what I was doing, or where I was going, or what my backup plan was. Because mm-hmm. I say to myself to this day, what would be my plan if this <laughs> girl came out of the car and she was lying about who she was? Yeah. Or what if she came out and she was like, this was kind of just a joke. I wasn't really serious. I'm already married. Or mm-hmm. I'm in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Where was I going to go at 1030 at night on Martha's Vineyard when I just came off the last boat? not knowing anywhere, with no transportation, not knowing where to go or who to talk to. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was an incredible, incredible risk, and I was comfortable taking that risk because I was comfortable with who I was, and I, I was confident in what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And knowing and that, that was, no matter what you did, you were going to land on your feet. Right, knowing that it was going to be okay ultimately just having this optimistic outcome of whether or not this relationship works, I'm going to be okay because I know what I want and I know where I'm at and what I'm looking for. Yeah. I think that is great advice. And I acknowledge that it could be hard, but boy, if you're not willing to do that, it's pretty hard to move forward. Yeah. I don't think you can at all. If you can't let go, um, it's not fair to you or the other person that they have to pay for your past. Mm. And it will never work. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Sterling, for sharing so much wisdom, truth, and love in such a genuine and authentic way. I hope you'll come back and be on our program again soon. Well, that's it for this episode. Wherever you are at this moment, we hope that you can feel your own unique happily ever after taking shape. If you or someone you know has a special love story to share, we'd love to hear it and share it. Please message us on Facebook or contact us online at bemoreyou.co. Until next time, I'm Trisha Bennett. From all of us at Happily Ever After is Real, 
Thank you for listening, and we wish you love.